And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh. With me, as always, is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. Hey, how's it going? Fabulous. No complaints. How are you? Uh, I have a couple complaints. My stomach hurts. I don't know why. <laughs> it's probably not COVID, but uh, it could be. You know, I have no idea. So, um, not too happy about that. It's, it's really put, really ruined my Cinco de Mayo, Justin. That's I was gonna, too bad. I was gonna eat tacos and have some beer, but uh, yeah, it's it's kind of putting a damper on my spirits. That's unfortunate. You know, last week I was talking about how I had a panic attack. And we have such amazing listeners that people actually reached out to me and said, multiple people said, oh, my God, I'm sorry about your panic attack. I feel terrible. And I suffer from those, too. And um, just kind of chat about it for a second. It's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that is nice. Uh, we, we love our listeners. Thank you, listeners. We do. You can send me some, some Pepto-Bismol for uh, <laughs> send it in the mail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. Ugh, I don't like the Pepto. Yeah, I try tablets not to or either. juice. I don't. I don't do it. Yeah, I just sit there in my own sick and be miserable. Uh, but enough of that. No more misery. It's nothing but good things because we have a special guest today, and I'm very excited about it. We have uh, a good friend of mine, Mr. Linnell Bynum, joining us today. How are you today, Linnell? I'm doing pretty good. Um, thank you again, Justin, Zach. I really appreciate this. Yeah, happy to have you, man. You're a, a big fan of the motion picture shows and. You love video games and sports and all kinds of stuff. Basically, we are three peas in the same pod. So it's great. <laughs> that is the absolute truth. It's, it's a little crowded in this pod because I am big. <laughs> I am a fat. But so a uh, Deuce, deuce and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm the big pea there. Pea is in pneumonia. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, we're excited to have you. We can't wait to talk about these uh, this movie this week. Uh, but traditionally, we always kick things off with like, what are you watching? What do you recommend? So, Mr. Linnell, what have you been watching over the course of the last week or month? So, um, I've really, uh, when it comes to a film, it's, it's kind of been a little bleak, um, I guess, because I haven't been really getting out to movie theaters, you know, I guess everybody's experienced that right now. But uh, yeah, so um, I've watched Judas and the Black Messiah. I really love that film. Um, I've watched Justice Lee Snyder's cut. Um, eh, and I watched uh, Mortal Kombat. Um, uh, I'm more of lately been like binge watching TV shows. So show like Dave, which is pretty fun. It comes on FX. Pretty funny show. I suggest everybody watch that. Um, Hip hop uncover is really interesting. Um, if you really want to know, like the, the I guess like the under the information that you wouldn't find on hip hop, that's a great show to watch. And uh, my typical TV show show to go to is like Martin Family. I mean, <laughs> if I just want to feel good and laugh, quick jokes, I love Martin Family. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So hip hop's interesting because like. The first time I ever heard of the concept of like underground culture was hip hop. 
and I feel like they're very protective and a lot of gatekeeping with hip hop. So did you get that as well with with this show that you're watching? Hip Hop Uncovered is basically doing undoing the underground <laughs> lore that I've that I've heard about for the last like 40 years of my life. Absolutely. It's pretty much how, uh, for lack of a better word, how the streets are, was such an influence in the hip hop culture. Um, the poverty, the, you know, the drugs, the, all that, the, pretty much the illegal side, how much it was so, uh, if that didn't happen, we might not have like a hip hop culture, or it might be a hip hop culture, but it'd be completely different. So, uh, right. it's a great watch. It was always rap is something you do, hip hop is something you live, right? Yes, yeah. that's, that's the saying. Yeah. That's an absolute fact. Yeah, Linnell, have you listened to? There's this fantastic podcast that NPR puts out there. It's called Loud, Louder Than a Riot, and I've uh, I because I'm actually really into hip hop, and I was listening to it, and it is fantastic. It's uh, it's about the interconnection between hip hop and mass incarceration, and so they they deal with all the social justice issues right now. So like Bobby Shmurda's on there, and Nipsey, and then they have a whole bunch of um, other other artists and they kind of talk about how how it's related to the social justice warriors of today and and, and the rise of hip-hop it's just it, it's very very interesting but that's that sounds very similar to this netflix show i i haven't but you said a key name that i most definitely definitely gonna check it out now you said nipsey um, nipsey oh yeah, love nipsey hustle yes yeah. near and dear to my heart uh i really appreciate uh um, his his uh in, his insight his perspective so yeah. I'm definitely checking it out now. Absolutely, yeah, it's uh, it's really good. Louder than a riot. It's uh, from NPR, and the hosts are fantastic. They're some of the best I've ever listened to, actually. So, um, yeah, that's awesome, man. I'll have to check that out on on Netflix. Cool. Well, thank you for that, Zach. What have you been watching? I've been a busy little bee, kind of. Uh, after we were discussing Justice League, or after I was thinking about Justice League, I was telling Linnell this, I decided to jump into uh, the animated movies on HBO Max. So Superman Red Sun, where basically it's like an alternate world where what if Superman was uh, born in Russia instead of the US? Pretty interesting. And then I did uh, Justice League The Flashpoint Paradox. That was really good. Uh, actually, probably one of my more favorite animated films that I, I've seen in quite some time. And then I watched the Justice League uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth. And that one was really excellent. Actually, now that I think about it, all three of these dealt with alternate universes. So that's kind of cool. Um, and then I watched uh, Freddy versus Jason after we did our Friday the 13th episode. <laughs> it's um, it's still as good and as bad as I remember it. But I love the shit out of that movie. So. Sure, sure. Uh, I watched Predator again because that's just one of the most classic action films of all time. The most simple plot ever. And I love every freaking muscly minute of it. Just a whole bunch of dudes flexing in the jungle, basically. So my kind of yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've been playing. Maximizing a, a, their pump. <laughs> there you go. I've been playing a lot of MLB The Show 21. Uh, it's been really great. And I recently started watching the cutscenes for all the Mortal Kombat games because I don't want to um, play them. How do you say? <laughs> I'd rather just watch the cutscenes. So. Lazy bones. I'm on. I'm on MK11 right now, and I watched the first 30 minutes today, and I was really sad about something. So I won't spoil it. <laughs> there you go. Was were you sad about Ronda Rousey's voice acting? Oh, who does she play? Sonya Blade. Ugh, well, then I'm glad about the death. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
listen to you. I can't stand yeah, Ronda no, Rousey. Dude, so ha, uh, it it is it's almost game breaking because everyone's like pretty good and then it gets to her. And I mean, she's a total badass. She can kick some ass and everything, but uh, she is uh, not the best at the voice acting. And so uh, it really shows and comes through, especially when you're trying, you're pretty much captivated by all the craziness that's happening. And then the moment she starts talking, you're just like, Oh man, she's just phoning this in and it is not working out. I know. She's like, you have to fight the commander. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> Get a little ump right. in there. So. Yeah. A little chutzpah there. Yeah. yeah. Once more with feeling and then yeah. it doesn't work. So, <laughs> all right. Well, good for you. Yeah. That's exciting. Justin, what have you been watching? Holy shit, dude. I I have just been sitting in a chair just watching TV for hours and hours and hours. I have like one of those, uh, what is the movie, um, Clockwork Orange kind of chairs and my eyes are just peeled <laughs> open. And I, I watched Unforgiven, Hot Fuzz, New Mutants, which I actually enjoyed, by the way. Everyone was like just crapping all over it and it's not half bad. There's a decent movie in there. And... Uh, <laughs> Iron Man 1 and 2. So then we kicked off, like, uh, Alex and I started, like, this little Marvel thing over the weekend. It started with Iron Man 1 and 2, then Thor, then the Avengers, then Iron Man 3, then Winter Soldier, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Civil War, Thor Ragnarok, Infinity War, and then Endgame. And uh, we skipped a a bunch, but we kind of kept it kind of linear, like, following basically Iron Man, but then we threw in, you know, a couple caps and Thor. Um, And uh, it was fun. Got through it over the weekend. That was great. And then I ended it with uh, Beverly Hills Cop because I just love that movie. And we talk about it every week. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch it one more time. Aquel? <laughs> yeah, Aquel. <laughs> Aquel, foy. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Cool. Love it, love it, love it. So, yeah, I was, you say busy little bee, and I was the opposite. I just sat in a chair and watched a box <laughs> for hours and hours and hours. Fucking so. Chuck Norris. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, and that reminds me. So last night, I actually watched Hot Tub Time Machine. And that movie's also really funny. I <laughs> on my phone. <laughs> on my phone. Yeah, totally. Oh, uh, shit. So I, I uh, yeah, it's busy. Busy with the movies. Nice. Yeah. Love that movie, too. Hot Tub Time Machine <laughs> is funny, yeah. dude. It's fucking great. When... When uh, Rob Corddry's in his chair, and, or he's in the car, and is playing uh, Home Sweet Home, and like he's doing like air drums, and then he throws his air drumstick in the air and then catches it. I knew in that moment that he was just the funniest human being on the planet. I was like, that's it. I love this man. I want to support him from now until the day he is done acting. <laughs> Loved it. So, anyway, are you guys ready to talk about the motion picture show? Yeah. All yes, right, sir. so <laughs> in honor of Cinco de Mayo, which is today, time of this recording, uh, we're going to do Desperado, which is streaming on HBO Max. It is directed by one Robert Rodriguez, who you might know from El Mariachi, from Dust Till Dawn, The Faculty, which I didn't even fucking know he directed until I put that down in the notes, then Planet Terror and Machete. Uh, the film was written by Robert Rodriguez. The cast includes Antonio Banderas, Salma Hayek, uh, Joaquim de Almedida, Cheech Marin, Steve Buscemi, and Danny Trejo. And uh, it's pretty pretty GD great. I love Danny Trejo. And I didn't know that until I saw this movie with all of his knives and payphone money. This is like, <laughs> the man. He's balling. Look at all them coins. <laughs> Machete. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, let's see here. So going over critical reception, Mr. Mick LaSalle from the San Francisco Chronicle, he didn't like it. Uh, I should say that uh, it actually did pretty well on Rotten Tomatoes. It's actually a 64% from the critics and 79 from the audience. So so fans really enjoyed it. But Mr. Uh, Mr. LaSalle, he wasn't buying it. The routine gets tiresome for the mariachi and for the audience, too, after about an hour. Wow. So there you go. Uh, Janet Maslin from the New York Times says, Mr. Rodriguez may be good enough to make a film about anything, but Desperado would collapse if its characters had to do anything but play with guns. This is hurtful. I know, it is hurtful. Whereas our buddy buddy Mike Massey from uh, Gone with the Twins says, Brimming with innovative and whimsical gunplay and action arrangements built up through fitting music, sharp camera work, and a unique semi-spaghetti western setting. Now that's important because it says semi-spaghetti western setting. And we'll get to that in a bit because I I feel like this is just a western with cars. (laughs) 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 And just reading that is kind of comforting to me. I like like the idea that this is a western and I'm, I'm prepared to defend that uh, from now until the day I die. Uh, and then lastly, Tim Stevens from The Spool says, Desperado is filled with an undeniable enthusiasm that makes its faults easier to ignore. And there are a lot of faults in this movie, particularly the way Antonio Banderas throws his guns while he's shooting them. I know. It doesn't, doesn't work. <laughs> I always I always hated that. I'm always not really a gun that. guy, but yeah, you, 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 don't, you don't throw your guns while you're, while you're shooting them. See? You miss me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, my favorite part is when he like pulls his pulls his hair back and then all of a sudden he's got a gun in his hand. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh, but there you have it. The budget was only seven million dollars and opening weekend it did seven point nine. And that of course was on August twenty seventh, nineteen ninety-five. It grossed twenty-five point four million in the US and then uh, it's about the same worldwide, so it didn't really get much of a worldwide release. Or if it did, the numbers were not reported on. People just collected that money in the shoebox and said, fuck you, I'm not sharing it. <laughs> so I got and a question all... about that. Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. What's up? Uh, so in uh, thinking back to 1995, looking at the numbers, how successful do you think this film was? If you were to write it, like... 25 mil pretty good for 1995 or would that be like a joke so considering it only cost 8 million to make and it made three times that i would say that it's it's a success yeah yeah i i mean i i definitely get that i just thought you know um box office numbers yeah the the summertime's hard though because it's august is always tricky because summer's over and um, so that's always like a last ditch effort. You, if you're going to have an August release, you want to be in that first week. No much. You don't want to be much further past like August 10th. Um, and then Mortal Kombat was also in theaters at this time, too. So that was actually taking a lot of a lot of a lot of repeat business with the Mortal Kombat. And so that's a that's tough to compete against. But I think at the end of the day, for what we can consider to be practically a foreign film um, in a weird way, um, and making twenty five million off a seven million dollar budget isn't uh, isn't too shabby, especially for a brand new filmmaker. Agreed. But if you want to call it a failure, I will support you. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I I just I'm just trying to understand because like 1995, I was eight, 
So, you know, <laughs> I don't know about no box <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I was the same. I was just like, uh, well, can we go see Mortal Kombat? Because I have the soundtrack. I'm, I'm, I want to see it twice. I don't want to see Desperado. I, I really did. I was punch dancing outside with my friend. Jeff Lucci was his name. He was Italian, Jeff Lucci. And we were we were punch dancing and we had the soundtrack on, on cassette tape. It was pretty awesome. But we didn't have Desperado soundtrack. <laughs> we had the Mortal Kombat soundtrack. Oh, man. Desperado soundtrack is actually pretty good. Real quick, I'll never forget when I visited you a couple of years ago and we watched Desperado on a whim. Then we went out to that beach and we had Mexican food and they played that song overhead. <laughs> and I was like, what a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you call life imitating art imitating life. <laughs> Exactly. And then we shot up some uh, some buchos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> him too. Uh, you got some trivia for us? Sure. Yeah, I can do that. Uh, I actually didn't read any of this trivia. So this is great. This film cost approximately $7 million to make a thousand times the amount of money Robert Rodriguez spent to make El Mariachi. That is a lot of money. I mean, well, a, a big difference, I should say. Due to the film's relatively low budget, these same two stuntmen were used throughout the movie. And that is really awesome and a hallmark of what Robert Rodriguez did for his career. So good for him. The bathroom scene before the second bar shootout was directed by Antonio E. Banderas. Robert Rodriguez said he didn't like using second unit crews and Banderas asked if he could direct the scene to which Rodriguez agreed. The scenes with Steve Buscemi and Cheech Marin had to be shot quickly because they could only afford Buscemi for seven days and Cheech for six. Wow. Um, Dave's not here, man. Antonio was <laughs> <laughs> on that Nash Bridges money at that point. That's true. That's true. Antonio Banderas performed all his own uh, guitar work, including Cancion del Mariachi, during the opening credits. Well, that's good. See? And you were oh. making fun of him, and he's over there rocking out with this guitar out. And this one's uh, sad. Raul, Raul Julia was uh, cast as Bucho, but pulled out due to declining health. He died about two months after the release of the film. Aw, I liked him a lot. Yeah, he's he was, great. He was good M. Bison. So. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gomez. And Adams. Yeah, he was. Uh, okay, synopsis time? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, go for it. Okay. In August 1994, at the Tarasco Bar in, in Mexico, uh, an American man named... Is that really? An American man named Buscemi? Tell yeah, us they this. they named him that because in this when they were writing that when Robert Rodriguez was writing the script, he wanted Steve Buscemi to to be this character, so he actually named him Buscemi. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool. According well. <laughs> to the IMDb trivia, anyway, which I didn't include in this uh, document for you, but yeah, fun fact. And apparently, it doesn't lie. So <laughs> apparently. So, an American man named Buscemi tells the story of how he witnessed a massacre in another bar committed by a Mexican with a guitar case full of guns. The bar's patrons are uninterested until Buscemi mentions the name Bucho. That was his name, Bucho. (laughs) Meanwhile, (laughs) El El Mariachi has a dream of the encounter with Moco, Bucho's underling who killed his lover and shot his left hand. He is awakened by Buscemi, who tells him to continue his search for Bucho at the bar. El Mariachi meets a child whose father allegedly plays guitar for a living. He gives the boy some pointers. At the Trasco bar, El Mariachi engages in a tense standoff with Bucho's goons before a massive gunfight erupts. <laughs> Sorry. El Mariachi means 
the mariachi. <laughs> El Nino means the Nino. <laughs> exactly it. Uh, he kills everyone in the bar but Tavo, who is sent in a back room conducting a legal business, survives and follows him outside. On the street, Tavo wounds El Mariachi before being killed himself. Carolina, the woman who El Mariachi shields from Tavo's bullets, takes him to the bookstore and makes sweet, sweet love. Not yet. Bucho arrives at the bar to survey the carnage. Paranoid, Bucho orders his men to hunt down the man dressed in black. In the bookstore, Carolina tends to El Mariachi's wounds. Uh, oh, period. While he rests, she discovers the guns in the guitar case and realizes who he is. El Mariachi asks her to help him find Bucho. He goes to the town church and talks to Busemi. Upset by the massacre at the bar, Busemi convinces El Mariachi to give up his quest for blood. Outside the church, a man armed with throwing knives ambushes them, kills Busemi, and severely wounds El Mariachi. Bucho's, men's, Bucho's men arrive at the scene, mistake the man, who's also dressed in black, for El Mariachi and kill him. They take the body back to Bucho, who realizes they have killed the wrong person, a hitman named Navajas, uh, who, sent by the Colombians to kill El Mariachi. Navajas, yeah. El Mariachi wanders through the streets where he meets a kid with a guitar. He learns that the kid is being used by his father to mule drugs hidden in his guitar. He angrily confronts the boy who tells him most people in the town work for Bucho. El Mariachi returns to Carolina and learns that Bucho paid to build her bookstore as another front for his drug dealing. Unexpectedly, Bucho pays her a visit and she hastily hides El Mariachi. She feigns ignorance of the commotion in town and Bucho leaves. Carolina finishes stitching up El Mariachi's wounds. That evening, Carolina gives El Mariachi a new guitar. He plays for her before they make passionate, passionate sweet love. Meanwhile, Bucho realizes that Carolina lied to him. In the, in the morning, Bucho's men arrive to attack them while setting the bookstore ablaze. The two fight their way out of the burning building and onto a local rooftop where El Mariachi gets a clear shot at Bucho, but inexplicably chooses not to attempt to kill him. The two take refuge in a hotel room. Bucho gathers his men and tells them to kill anyone they see in town that they don't know. Realizing that Bucho will never stop hunting them, El Mariachi calls his friends Campa and Kino in to help. The trio meet up on the edge of town and encounter Bucho's goons. A massive gun battle ensues, and most of Bucho's goons, along with Campo, or Campa and Kino, are killed. El Mariachi sees the kid wounded in the crossfire and rushes him to a hospital. El Mariachi and Carolina head over to Bucho's compound to confront him directly. It is then revealed that Bucho and El Mariachi are hermanos. That means brothers. Bucho <laughs> offers to let El Mariachi go if he lets him kill Carolina. El Mariachi kills his brother, then shoots his remaining henchmen. The two visit the boy in the hospital, and El Mariachi leaves on his own. Carolina catches up to him on the road and picks him up, while with El Mariachi initially leaving his weapons on the side of the road. The two drive away together, but shortly return and pick up the guitar case full of guns, just in case. Just, it's a long way to the next town. Yeah. So that is a desperado. Why <laughs> don't you come eagles, to man. <laughs> your senses? I know. Oh, <laughs> I hate the fucking eagles, man. <laughs> I just got that. So yeah, love the Lebowski there. Oh, geez. All right. So here we go. Thank you for that synopsis. That was uh, about the same runtime as the movie. Interestingly enough. And uh, Lanell, when did you first see Desperado, and were you aware it was a sequel? Okay, I'm gonna answer the first, the second part of the question first. I did not know <laughs> the third part last. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a running joke on the show. Go ahead. <laughs> but uh, I didn't know it was a sequel. Uh, I'm curious to learn about what it was a sequel to. 
because um, I didn't Google it. So, um, no. But uh, as far as the first time I seen it, like I said, I was in 95. I was like eight. I lived in a small country town, so we didn't have satellite or cable in that area, nor did we go to movies. So I'll probably say the first time I saw Desperado was probably like 98. And that's when I f- we first got satellite in our um in our house, and uh, it was a uh, it was on stars. I think that's <laughs> where I saw I it. it. Yeah, I'm not sure. It sounds about but right, actually. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of the same director, I did see Dust Till Dawn. Oh yeah, that's a good one too. That was a uh, same. That was '96. That was January '96. Yeah, that's crazy. He's a he was an action spectacular director, but the first one was actually El Mariachi, which came out in '92, and um, it's basically the dream sequence that he's having at the beginning of the movie when um, he's standing there and his his girlfriend's murdered and all those thugs are standing out there and they shoot him in the hand. That's basically the first movie. That's all you need to know. They they killed the woman that he loves, and the guy in the white suit is the main bad guy in that movie. And then they basically re-edited that scene with Antonio Banderas in it uh, instead of the original actor that had played El Mariachi. And boom, you're all caught up. Easy peasy. <laughs> <laughs> they, they make it uh, really easy to where if you didn't see the first one, you wouldn't even know it was a sequel. Easy peasy. What about you, Zach? When did you first see Desperado? Post-Mortal Kombat, I imagine. Yeah, I was Mortal Kombat in it for a while. Um, I don't, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with Linnell. I, I do remember seeing it on Stars because I really feel like Stars had all the movies that I watched because HBO was a little too edgy. They had too much, too much cont- or taxi cab confessions and all that. But, right. um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm pretty positive it was Stars and uh, probably around the same time. Uh, I actually watch it with my brother because... Uh, there was a nude scene uh, you get to see some Hayek's boob for like 0.2 seconds. So that's why I liked it. But then uh, as I got older, I was like, Oh yeah, I really like this movie. Minus him throwing his guns all, all over the place. Right. <laughs> that's what he does, man. They, the bullets go faster when you throw your gun too, you know, kill shot, kill shot. He turned the gun <laughs> sideways. <laughs> it's like, it's uh giving an extra momentum as it were. Science. Uh, I don't know about all that. <laughs> True story. So I actually did see it in the theater. I saw it opening weekend. I saw it in a town called Yucca Valley, which is uh, two towns over from my hometown, Twenty Nine Palms. And uh, yeah, I saw it with my sister. We had a we had a good time. It was fun. Yeah. And uh, at the time, I did not know it was a sequel either. But then uh, doing some quick research and watching some some interviews on the E Channel, I found out that uh, it was a sequel. And then wouldn't you know it, El Mariachi was available in my local video store and i checked it out i wasn't nearly as impressed as i was with uh, desperado but it was still fun to see yeah all right very good so as i mentioned before desperado does strike me as a western i call it a western with cars uh the music certainly gives off that western vibe uh, even the rock music in the shootout still somehow reminds me of a western flick am i am i crazy do you guys feel that way too or am i alone um, no, I mean, I, I agree with you in a certain aspect. Uh, you know, it's if, if you really do think about it, it has all the elements of a Western, uh, like this cool set design. You're not in a ton of different places. It's it definitely looks like this town is is a one horse town. You know, the railroads coming soon and it's uh, a lone mysterious gunman who who arrives into town for for some 
unexplained revenge really because i also didn't know it was a sequel um and so i didn't understand kind of what happened it's just very very quick you're like well his 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 lover died and he's out for revenge and that's pretty awesome uh it's a so the minimal backstory really helps with that the amazing shootouts like we were saying just absurd him kicking a guy off his chest and shooting him 20 times to make sure he's dead like it's just absolutely insane. So it, it definitely has all the elements of a Western. It's a, it's a Neo Western. It's revisionist, right? And Tarantino does that a lot too in his films. And you can see that they're cut from the same cloth where they, they definitely use a lot of revisionist history to kind of tweak their genres a, a bit. And, and like Linnell was talking about from dusk till dawn. And I didn't see that until actually way later past uh, desperado. And that's a, uh, that's an interesting movie because it's like, is it a horror film? Is it an action film? What What is that? So I think it's 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 cool how he can blur the lines, how Rodriguez can kind of blur the lines with those movies. So, yeah, I agree with you, Justin. I think it's 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 a Western. It's a neo Western. He's got spurs. He's jingling and jangling as he's walking down the hallways. It's pocket change, homie. Yeah, <laughs> he's got to got to kick his little motorcycle every once in a while to go faster. <laughs> I, I also want to ask uh uh, this about this idea. Did you think it was almost like it's a western, but it was satire because it almost feels like it was kind of mocking what mm. you typically see in a western? It's like over dramatic, over kill. So many there were so many scenes of slow motion walking, and uh, it was like Zack Snyder directed it with all the slow mo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a really good point, actually, because the, the whole film had a lot of weird dreamlike scenarios. And it was really interesting with the different, um, you know, wipes that they would do at the end of scenes where it would just like fade to white. And so there was a lot of continu- continuity issues that I found in this film that really weren't that big of a deal. But that that definitely did give it a um, kind of appeal for maybe it could have been satirical because it, it was way over dramatized. I mean, like remember when he's falling off of the building on his back and for all intents and purposes, you're like, he's going to land straight on his back. And then all of a sudden he's just does a somersault. I'm like, what? <laughs> there's, there's a lot of nonsensical shit in this, in this film. And maybe it, it is, maybe it's the gratuitous amounts of violence, you know? And I don't know. So I think um, a portion of that is the, the perception, you know, like Steve Buscemi sets up the story. He's telling what what he believes to have seen. So he's building it up like how amazing he is and how tough he is and guys are flying everywhere. And so I feel like he's built up this legend so that it's a matter of perception that when they're looking at him and they're fighting him in the Trasco bar, they just see this this guy, this 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 dude that's been striking fear in their hearts for so long that he's just larger than life and that everything is crazy. That's a good point, too. That, I mean, that's how I always interpreted it. Yeah, it's because it, it does start out with him telling the story, the the legend of, about this guy. So you're right. I mean, I think I think you're all right. Everyone is correct. <laughs> and I mean, I'm probably making something out of nothing, but that's just kind of how I always interpreted it. Like if they're if they're meant to be afraid of this guy, then everything that he does would come off as almost evangelical and crazy. But that's just me. Did you guys like the music? I was talking earlier that I really enjoyed the music in this movie. What about you guys? Were you into it? Were you rocking out? Yeah, I mean, I did. Uh, it wasn't, but it was, uh, it still was good. 
you know, it, I, I like how they were mixing in the spur sound in some of the music. But actually, my favorite parts were when we got to hear the the guitar playing, you know, like any any type of uh, Mexican film that I watch. I love uh, guitar. And so <clears throat> I, I really enjoy that aspect of it. But I mean, that opening sequence with him, you know, in the where it's like a flashback and you see him beat up that guy who's trying to stab the girl and anything with guitar was really, really neat, but they incorporated a lot of cool Western elements into the soundtrack too. So yeah, it was good. It wasn't a mortal Kombat, but it was good. <laughs> what about you, Linnell? Are you rocking out? <laughs> I, I definitely enjoyed the opening sequence. Um, uh, I was also trying to, you know, uh, see if I can uh, understand what he was saying. Um, cause I know it's in Spanish, but, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, um, I'm not really big on any other genres outside the genres I listen to. I'm I'm bad in that way, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I did enjoy the music. It, it to me it set the scene. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, and I think it's he he only got better. He does he has a, a very distinct sound like in 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 all of Rodriguez's films. You know, like you said, the faculty earlier, which was that was actually funny because that was a surprise too. I didn't. I completely spaced and didn't realize he, he did that. But yeah, Planet Terror and, and Machete and From Dust Till Dawn all have a really cool sound. But I, I probably my favorite little one was when Tarantino walks in and it's like, ooh, ch-ch-ch-ch-ch. right. <laughs> I like that a lot. But yeah, yeah, because it just fits Tarantino's character. But Rodriguez is very, very good at that at the music. He's a musician, too, I believe. Yeah, he does a lot of the music and movies. He's good. All right. So the opening puts Steve Buscemi in a pretty gnarly dive bar, the Tarasco bar. Uh, this place is filled with cutthroats and bandits, even though they are disguised as a group of class act individuals. Uh, have you ever been to a place like this before? Linnell, have you ever walked into a bar and you're just like, fuck, I probably shouldn't be here. <laughs> this is a bunch of, <laughs> bunch of dicey dudes in this room. And I don't know. I feel uncomfortable. Has that ever happened to either of you? I've never had that experience. Um, I wish I could tell you a crazy story but nah i've, <laughs> I've never i've been a, a church uh a church boy my, my whole life so <laughs> sorry good for you did you ever walk into a church and have to fight everybody because samuel <laughs> l jackson brainwashed them and with, with the cell phones and then you got to fight all of them off by yourself because you're a kingsman <laughs> <laughs> enjoyed that movie nah i did i i didn't have no I, man i wish i could say yeah so bad but nah oh. that didn't happen. I would have been like, pictures or it doesn't count, Linnell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. Uh, I, me personally, I, I haven't been to, I do like to go to bars, but I haven't been to a bar like that where you walk in and the record, the record player stops, you know, like people are right. like, you know, <laughs> and what, what do you have? And I'm like, milk and a dirty glass. Um, <laughs> But uh, I did go on a date with a 49-year-old woman when I was 25, so that was a little odd. But uh, I walked into this bar, and it was like a locals-only bar, and it was almost like that. Like, I swear to God, the music stopped playing as soon as I walked in, and there were there were a handful of these older gentlemen who were there that kind of looked at me and were like, who is this kid with this fine lady? Uh, and I was like, don't worry about it, man. So that, that, was, that was a little odd. Um, but I generally try try to avoid places that are like the uh, Tabasco bar or whatever it's called. Tabasco? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, because I just would be, you know, I would be one of those those kids that would try to walk in and be like, nope, peace. See you later. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> so, but yeah, 
What about you, Justin? Have you ever had anything like that happen? Uh, I mean, I, I've been to a couple bars in, in Mexico that I kind of got that vibe. Uh, not that I was going to get murdered or anything, just that I was out of place, like fish out of water kind of thing. Um, and then there's a couple of bars in uh, my hometown where a time has just stopped, man. Like it, it stopped in like 1900 and it hasn't <laughs> moved forward. <laughs> and, and there's just cowboys in there and you walk in, you're like, what decade am I in right now? And uh, it's not that it's uncomfortable per se, but you just if you walk in in jeans and a T-shirt, you look like a future boy. So it's kind of weird. But um, I've never really been uncomfortable per se. But uh, I'm I was I'm surprised at you, Zach, though, because you know you're a world traveler. You've been all over the place, and I was hoping that maybe on one of you one of your adventures that uh, you would have experienced something like this, like a, well, a soccer hooligan bar, and you got your ass kicked <laughs> or something. The feisty goat. No, and and surprisingly, people from you know in other countries are actually pretty friendly, uh, and it's really great if you go to like like in Ireland. When I was in Ireland, just random parts of Ireland, you walk into a, a tiny bar, and it's you know the barkeep and two other patrons, and they welcome you with open arms. It's just a friendly country. But like when I was in uh, when I was in Nicaragua, there were a couple places I went to that they were fine. But a lot of the people in like places like Granada, they either don't like um, Americans, which is totally understandable. We are pretty much the worst. But uh, but then there's other ones who are like, no, dude, they bring money to us. Like, so why would you be upset with them? So it's it's very, very 50 50. And I did go to a bar there by myself and I got a beer and there was this guy who was just kind of eyeballing me, but he left pretty quick. I just I didn't feel awkward or anything, but, you know, I didn't notice him watching me. So, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm sure I've been in places, but maybe I was just so oblivious to it that, you know, I don't know. Here I here I go again. Right. Thing. <laughs> here I go. Here I go. Here I go again. <laughs> What's my weakness, man? man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally. No, I get it. Uh, we are just a bunch of duds, a bunch of church boy duds that don't have any sense of adventure and going into shady bars. The seedy underbelly. Of our town. Do you consider yourself a church boy? (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me started. I can't. Once once I go down that rant, I can't stop. Please don't rant. (laughs) Okay. I will try my hardest not to. Now, Desperado was written, produced, and directed by Robert Rodriguez. And there are a couple of filmmakers that we enjoy that tend to take on all of these roles, including John Carpenter, uh, Tarantino, Edgar Wright, and probably many more. Um, how do you feel about that? Is it is it a bit much? Like, should these filmmakers take a step back and let someone else take the reins? Or are you happy with their work and want them to keep it up? Zach, we'll start with you this time. I mean, yeah, man, I'm a, I'm a huge Robert Rodriguez fan. I absolutely love his work. And I am totally fine with him doing the majority of it. Because, look, if I'm cooking a meal for someone... I, I, I don't want too many cooks in the kitchen. There's there's a reason for that. Now, this was his first. Well, not his first movie, but his one of his early films. And he actually had some spending power. He was backed by a bigger studio this time. So it's like, why would he not? Sometimes sometimes you just know what's best and you see the vision. And so there, therefore, you can do it. You can develop people, develop, have proteges and develop them over time. But I'm never going to be upset with how an artist performs their their art performs their word. <laughs> Robert Rodriguez's art is the prettiest art of all the art. So, <laughs> right. um, and you know, I love the shit out of, of what he does. And I just, I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, 
he can he can pass control whenever he sees fit. But uh, but if you don't like it, there's a very simple thing you can do and just don't watch it. I mean, that's pretty much it. So sure. I mean, I was just thinking of like like John Carpenter. You know, we were talking about uh, They Live not too long ago, and and his screenplays it's credited as uh, Frank Armitage, right? Mm-hmm. Because he just doesn't want his name all over the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, that makes sense, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, uh, but when you see yeah. like written, directed, uh, produced, edited, you know, camera work and best boy and all this other bullshit where you're just like, dude, <laughs> like it's it's okay to just release some of the control every once in a while. But I mean I, I mean I can say that I like all of these filmmakers, so what they're doing works, but at the same time I mean, maybe it was also because it was early in his career that he felt that he had to do all these things, uh, you know, because these having those other people involved, uh, you know, cost money and everything. So, yeah, well, that's what I mean. I mean, the dude used the same two stuntmen for the entire film. It's like, what? <laughs> so right. I, I could see the recycled, you know, job rules. Mm-hmm. What about you, Leno? How do you feel about that? Do you want when you make your own material, do you want to write, produce, edit, direct, and do all that stuff yourself? Or do you would you rather have a helper? Um, I want to start by saying I support everything y'all just said. Uh I think for me personally, I I do want to do all those things, but I'm willing to give getting in front of the camera is scary for me. So I would I would definitely pass that uh job on to somebody who deserves it. Um but uh I want to give an example of Tarantino. Like in this film, it was a it was kind of like a small part. I mean, it's not his movie, but it didn't he didn't stand out to me. So I'm I wonder do people even pay attention to stuff like this uh, when it comes to directors. Um, but like in, in a film like Dust Till Dawn, I loved him in Dust Till Dawn. Um, so uh, I don't have an issue with it. I, I kind of enjoy seeing uh, film directors in their own film um as well as behind the camera yeah yeah i agree well moving on then so bucho is surrounded by morons does that make him more likable when he gets frustrated with his goons i think uh to me it 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 goes back to that satire i feel like it was they're just mocking how stupid the people around him are and (laughs) and how he's like the only one in the room that's um you know what i'm saying even the his his uh i guess love interest like the, the sex scene they did where he like blew smoke <laughs> in the face yeah he's just like dead like laying there so. <laughs> yeah yeah i was just i'm laughing at this the entire time so I, it, to me it was more of a, a a comedic thing than a um if i liked him more or not i just thought it was funny sure yeah, I agree. It mixes it mixes up that kind of archetype of like a typical villain. So it, it definitely is satirical in that sense of how, you know, like you, you would think in, in some of these action films where the boss just he knows everything. The villain can't go wrong for, for what it is. And he's just a maniacal person. But this guy, you're like, I mean, he's losing control of his gang because they're a bunch of yahoos. And, you know, they they don't even know the number to his car. Like, he's like, who knows the favorite part? Who knows the fucking number to my car? Like, (laughs) it's just like, why did we just spend five minutes showing that scene? But it's awesome. So in that, yeah, that definitely is like very satirical in that sense. And, you know, he he kills his own henchmen because he's just so angry. And uh, yeah, it's uh, a you know, this ain't your daddy's Western. That's what I say. So sure. I think that's great when he's like. Fuckheads, what's the number <laughs> to the phone of my car? 
And then he just like, he wants to shoot. You can see that he's just holding back rage. Like he wants to shoot all of the people that are in front of him, but he just shoots in the air instead. Oh my God. I love that so much. Yeah. Like it's so typical boss. I'm surrounded by morons kind of thing. And, and I, I love that. I think that's so funny. <laughs> oh my God. Everything he does. And then speaking of like that love scene that he does, you know, he's just laying there and then like, he casually just kind of smacks her, her behind for like a half a second. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. love good. it. He's good people. All right. So and is Antonio Banderas an action star? You know, uh, there was a time when he was in so many films, one right after another, including Interview with the Vampire, Desperado, Assassins, The Mask of Zorro, and The 13th Warrior. These are all within 1994 to 99. Now, were you bought into, you guys are pretty young at this time, so you might not have been, but, you know, were you bought into Antonio Banderas as an action star, and would you like to see him in a big role um, in 2021? Yeah, you know, just as much as Bruce Willis or, or Nicolas Cage, we, we had this discussion when we talked about The Rock, where both of those actors were doing dramatic roles, and then they flipped the script, and they completely, you know, became these these action stars by some of their films. And then they started doing really shitty films, but, you know, they still are technically action stars. So I absolutely think Antonio Banderas is he he has he has the array under his belt. This is an action film. So it had he I, I really enjoyed him in Assassins. Also, he uh, did a very good job opposite Sly Stone in that one. A very nice cat and mouse movie. Yeah, but, that flop, by the way, that only made $30 million, and it was a $50 million movie to make. I bought it as a double feature with that and, like, fucking Heat or something like that. Or, no, the, the, the Saint. It was The Saint and Assassins. I don't know why it was a double feature on one disc, but uh, Val Kilmer. So, um, but, yeah, it, I, I think that this is definitely his best action role. Uh, I haven't seen 13th Warrior. I know we've talked about it before, oh, but it's... I love uh, that movie. I know. So, it's just one of those ones that... Yes, absolutely. Antonio Banderas is an action star. So, Mask of Zorro made two hundred fifty million worldwide, which is a hit. Um, but the rest, not so much. They did not do very well. Thirteenth Warrior had a budget of one hundred sixty million, and worldwide it made sixty million back. Ouch! Assassins, another one lost money. Um, so, Mask of Zorro is the only real hit, minus the spread of. The, the the budget and the earnings of Desperado, which was seven million to make, twenty four million uh, earned, which is pretty pretty good. And then of course he he was barely in Interview with the Vampire, and it's not his movie. That's more of a Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt movie, but he was definitely in it a year before Desperado. So and then of course he was in Philadelphia as well. Uh, again, not an action movie, but he you know was in it. Uh, I think he was Tom Hanks's boyfriend, if I remember correctly. I don't know, it's been a yeah. while since I've seen Philadelphia. Yeah, he was. But um, yeah, so we were really starting, and he had made a ton of um, of movies prior to that. They just were all in Espanol, so not a whole lot of people had uh, had seen him. Melamo Antonio Banderas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Do you guys remember MTV News by chance with Kurt Loder? Yes, I, I do. Um, he talked about Antonio Banderas, and he called him. Banderas, and I thought it was the funniest. It's not even funny, but for some reason I thought it was, and I called him that for like ten years. Not to his face, of course, but just in in honor of one Kurt Loder for being a weirdo. You know, um, I do think he uh, was a um, action star, but 
as far as uh, notoriety, he probably did. I don't think he got as much notoriety. Um, I, was, I feel like Salma Hayek was probably the bigger, uh, most notable name after a while. Yeah. I mean, she did really well because she did, uh, what do you call it? Frida, which I think he was in that as well. But um, she, you know, she went on to become a, a pretty big A-lister as well. Um, but having a bunch of flops in a row doesn't help Hollywood at all. I mean, but Mascazora did do well, and it did get a sequel, of course. So there is that. Uh, but then he kind of went away for a while. Um, and then when he was in, I think he was in Expendables 3, I want to say. And he mm-hmm. was like the best part of that movie. <laughs> that movie was terrible. Yeah. But he was in, he's like, come on, let me play. I want to be in the game. <laughs> let me shoot some people. <laughs> and he was really funny. I really dug it. And I hadn't seen him in so long, so it was refreshing. In Pain, Pain and Glory in 2019, he was nominated for Best Actor. So that was kind of, and, and you know, that was uh, that was kind of his resurgence. I mean, I would say, and that was your buddy um, Almodovar. Um, <clears throat> so I, 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 he he definitely had some uh, he has some gusto left in him. I'll say, and he was Puss in Boots from Shrek. Right, right. So he did a lot of voice acting in the Shrek movies. You know, it's a billion dollar franchise. That um, does very very well. Um, so that's great, but mm-hmm. seeing what's up, no big deal. Um, let's see here, moving right along. Now, okay, so not counting the opening scene, retelling the shootout at the, the Saragossa bar, which gunfight was your favorite? There was the Tarasco bar, there was the bookstore shootout, and then the final shootout with Kampa and Kino. We are not going to count the last one that fades to white. So you have three major shootout scenes. Which one is your favorite, Linnell? I'm gonna go with the uh, the uh, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right trash school bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Um. The uh when he was Dolo and uh the, <laughs> the dude kept the gun on him <laughs> and I wasn't I wasn't expecting him the the guns to come out of his sleeve. I haven't seen <laughs> it in a while, so that I think that was my that was my favorite I seen. Um. They were and them two uh when he jumped on a bar. Oh, when he shot the fan down, and, <laughs> yeah, and the fan was smacking. I thought that was hilarious too. So, uh, yeah, that was my favorite one. That's a good one. That was really what about good. you, Zach? Yeah, the same thing. The Tarasco bar, just because he's like, yes, yes, I, I, I am the guy. I am him. But uh, <laughs> it's me. And he like he points at the guy. He's like, whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> you know. And then yeah, shoots him. And then you missed me. Um, the 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 fan thing was hilarious. Uh, the empty guns too when him and the the bank banker guy are like trying to shoot each other and they Snaps just neck. <laughs> yeah he, he's like if you want to go you can go and he, he they pick up a whole bunch of guns they're all empty then he just snaps his neck he's like fuck you <laughs> <laughs> oh dude it, it it's brilliant it is very very well done and i love when he's reloading the gun and the guy jumps down tries to stab him and he kicks him off in the air and shoots him like 20 times it's gratuitous but it is so cool and absolutely, I think I think it's it, it's better than any of the other ones. I mean, the close second would be the the bookstore, just because when some Hayek is singing, you know, and she has her eyes closed, and he just points both guns at her and <laughs> yeah. kicks her kicks her over. Yeah, pretty crazy. He blinks a lot when he shoots too, though. Yeah, and all that, that muzzle flash. Yeah, it's in you your know. eyes, you know. You say hey, we should wear goggles with spurs on them. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. There's so many fun action sequences. I remember, so I saw this movie in the theater three times. And each time I saw it was with somebody different. But then when I remember when we rented it, my mom liked it so much that we had to watch it again after it was over. Like, we literally had, there's only a handful of movies that we've had to do that with. And Desperado was one of them. 
She's like, oh my god, wow. this movie's great. Yeah. She, I think she just loved Antonio Banderas. Fighting <laughs> 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 me. Uptown all the way. So did my mom. He's pretty. And he was like 35 when the movie came out. He's got a good head of hair. He does. I like it. He's got a scorpion jacket. <laughs> I know. That'd be a really awesome costume. You should be him for Halloween. A mariachi. <laughs> I could be in the summertime. I get pretty dark. Yeah, you could. I could do it. I don't know, but I can't get my hair long. Mm-mm. If my hair's longer than like an inch and a half, it's it's got to go. <laughs> <laughs> can't do it. Can't do the long hair. Just go. not in the cards. I'll be Selma Hayek. You be El Mariachi. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You see the bookstore? It's in my bookstore. It's in my bookstore. Yeah. All right. Now, do you have any other Latin or Hispanic films that you would recommend to our listeners? Zach, you're a big film guy. Um. Yeah, yeah. Fast and Furious. Um, no. Sure. <laughs> it's got Corona in it, right? That counts. Family. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mi familia. Mi familia. Uh, Roma, definitely. I am a huge Alfonso Cuaron fan, and I think it is such an intimate film. Uh, and then uh, to piggyback off of that, too, you should actually probably watch Itu Mama Tambien, which is some people say it's be- his better film, but very, very intimate and, and visceral films. Uh, just beautifully shot and, and, and beautifully acted everything. I mean, Alfonso is, is peak at those. And then Pan's Labyrinth, we discussed that on this podcast, but uh, Guillermo del Toro, uh, absolutely incredible. If you have not seen it, please do. You're crazy. I mean, I was crazy. There's one called Sin Nombre, and that one is uh, also very good. Uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid. I think that's on uh, Shudder, and that is uh awesome horror film. It's a different type of horror film, but it's really good. And then I talked about Pain and Glory, Dolor y Gloria. That was uh that was uh Antonio's one of his most recent films, and that is streaming as well. So mm-hmm. check check all those out. There are a bunch I admittedly have not seen as much um Latin American film as I should. Uh I'm trying to work on European and uh and East Asian film, but um I will get into it. Sweet. What about you, Linnell? Um, Like Zach, I haven't seen uh, as many uh, um, uh, Hispanic films or Latin films, but there's one indie film that I really love. It's called uh, Beautiful. Uh, I think it's Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, th- I can't pronounce his name. Is it Javier? Javier Bardem. Bardem, yeah. 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 I-, I really love that film. Um I've uh this is gonna be pretty bad. Um I love La Bamba. Um <laughs> Yeah. Um, La Bamba with like uh the Diamond Phillips yeah, and Phillips and stuff? Yeah, even uh I'm sure that's probably not a Spanish film, but you know what I mean. We'll make it work. Richie Valenzuela and his flying guitar. Make sere, make sere. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Beautiful is directed by um, Alejandro G. Ineritu, and he's part of the Three Amigos that we we rave about all the time on this. Him, Guillermo del Toro, and Alfonso Cuaron. They're just some of the best directors that are that are out there, and uh, they do a lot of amazing work. So. Mm-hmm. Like Anna. uh Itu Mama Tambien, and I think mm-hmm. uh, what, City of God, maybe? Like yes. Yeah, and you, like your favorite, Abra Los Ojos, which is Vanilla Sky. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> forgot about that. Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned La Bamba because uh, my very first spoiler ever was La Bamba, which is weird to say, but it is one hundred percent true. I remember um, 
I was at the store with my mom, and we were going to go see La Bamba in theaters. This is 1987. And uh, I remember the the cashier was like, hey, what are you doing today? And I'm like, oh, we're going to go see La Bamba. And uh, he's like, oh, right on. I just saw that yesterday. And I was like, oh, yeah, did you like him? He's like, yeah, it's too bad he dies. Of course, <laughs> Richie Valens is a is a historical person. Like, it's a real a real man. Or I guess he was a child, technically. He was like 17. Um but I didn't know that. I just was going to see Lou Diamond Phillips and as, you know, be a rock star. And and he's like, and I, and I remember just thinking, what? <laughs> My mom was like, yeah, he died in a plane crash with Buddy Holly. I'm like, and I remember thinking like, Jesus, why are you telling me this? <laughs> Little seven-year-old Justin got his very first spoiler with La Bamba. And I totally <laughs> forgot about that until right now. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> Yeah, so for 90 minutes, I'm just like waiting for this fucking plane crash to happen. I'm like, okay, let's let's see it. (laughs) Get off my plane. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. And then they were going to Fargo of all places. So then when the only reason I even knew what the hell of Fargo was was because (laughs) of La Bamba. So when that movie came out, I was like, oh, sweet. This is uh, Richie Valens. (laughs) Oh, hi, Margie. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, those were the days. Anyway. And you know, um, Antonio Banderas has worked with uh, Almodovar before. Uh, you mentioned... Uh, yeah, he has quite a few with him, actually. Yeah. Uh, first one I ever saw of his was Matador, which I think we talked about before. We did. watched that in a film class. Yeah. He, uh, Antonio Banderas like rapes somebody when the whole movie is... And like, in the first like two minutes of the movie. And then it's the falling out of that encounter. It's pretty crazy. Oof. I yeah. think I saw that. I think I saw the same movie in film class too. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's uh it's like the go-to movie, I guess. <laughs> it's like can we can we get one with a little less rape, please? Because I don't really want to watch this. It's an appropriate scene. All right, so um, last question I have for you: Were you at all disappointed uh, that we didn't get to see the final showdown with El Mariachi and Bucho? Uh, or did you think that you've seen enough of the guns and the shooting and the bang, bang, shoot them up type stuff? Uh, were you cool with the fade to white? Uh, was that the right call? I think it was a different call. I never got to the end of a movie. And then the, the you know, like the buildup for, you know what I'm saying, this showdown just abruptly ends with the um, with the white flash out. But uh, I... I think at, by this point I I've seen enough shooting and killing, so I think I probably uh <laughs> I think I was okay with it. <laughs> sure, they already won the award for most bullets fired in a movie, so they don't need to go any further. <laughs> well, so it's really interesting because I actually I've it's you know it's taken me twenty six years to realize that I I think this movie was meant to be ambiguous the ending because. What I interpret it as was he never went to his brother's compound and he never shot him. They never did any of that shit because the whole movie, you know, Sama Hayek is like, you should kill him, get revenge, blah, blah, blah. But then Buscemi was like, don't do it. Don't go down that path. There's nothing left for you. And I think it took the child getting hurt in the crossfire for El Mariachi to understand that violence begets more violence. And, you know, or another one, these violent delights have violent ends. Like he, he understands that that's his brother. He's already ruined him by, by destroying his cartel and all that kind of shit. And he's kind of in hot water. The film implies it, you know, the Colombians are kind of after him anyways. He 
can't go that far as to kill his own brother for revenge. And he did find something new. He found a new woman to love, you know? And so I think how, how it happened was they took the boy to the hospital, they waited at the hospital, and then they left. I don't think he, they drove to his, his home and had that final standoff. So that's why I think it was intentional and there was the fade to white and you didn't see it actually happen because I think it was just a dream sequence. Hmm. That's a great point. That's a great point. I, I, I kind of got a, um, I thought he might've got killed because when, uh, when you, when it flashes back to Antonio uh, Banderas, all you see is the guns go out and then it goes white, but you hear shots. Exactly. And like there were, I mean, he had like, you know, 10, 10 guns pointed on him at one time. And so even if he's able to kill the brother, even if he's able to kill that gal, there's no way that that they're all going to survive that shootout. And I think back to kind of what Linnell was saying about the satirical Western and then kind of like what I was saying with revisionist Western. I mean, movies like The Wild Bunch, right? How many how many shootouts do you see where there's this crazy against all odds issue and the hero comes out on top? I mean, not in a Western Westerns. It's like everybody pretty much dies in, in that kind of setting. And so I think it's uh I think it's definitely fascinating that he he left it um, ambiguous like that for the viewer. Rodriguez did. He just was like, well, you can kind of interpret it your own way. But I mean, I think it was on the nose for me. I think that that was all just a dream sequence. And he stayed at the hospital with a kid and he realized what he had was was better. Why are we going out for steaks when we are? Why are we going out for burgers when we got steaks at home? So. I was just thinking, like, maybe they just ran out of money. So they just <laughs> decided to eh, we'll just fade to white. It'll work. <laughs> I don't know about all that. So. I think you're thinking too hard. No I way, think man. It was, I think it was, fuck, we don't have any more bullets. Let's just, <laughs> let's just end it. <laughs> uh, we've seen this before, so we'll just, we'll just call it right here. That was my thought. Meh, maybe. I mean, I why would they have a dream sequence? So, I mean, like you're saying that he's in the hospital and while he's talking to the kid, maybe while he's in the waiting room. There's this this idea of, hey, I could go here and do this. Yeah. Or are you I, I think okay. the the film builds up to that. And and like the the point in in that sequence is he's like, you know, it's exposition. He's like, my own brother, they give it away. We as a viewer, we're not omnipresent, so we don't know what's going on, certainly, because they did a good job of hiding it. Like, why is he not shooting Bucho? And the big reveal at the end is, oh, it's my own brother. And he's like, I didn't mean for your wife to die, but you already ruined me. And I have nothing else to do here. Like, you know, my cartel's gone. Earlier in the film, he talks about how the Colombians are after him. So, like, they sent, you know, Danny Trejo after him. So, I think we can surmise that his brother's kind of fucked in the A at that point, right? So, it's... I like how you say fuck, I know, but then you... I know. <laughs> but then you go to A. I know. Uh, so, his brother is screwed in that sense. And I think it took... El Mariachi, all this killing and all this time and losing his friends and the kid getting hurt to realize I'm not going to do that. And so I think that was a very the, the ending scene was left in the film like that because maybe it wasn't even Antonio's dream sequence. Maybe it was just to, to give us viewers a little more context and to leave us kind of like, wait a minute, what just happened? So that was uh, that was something I think I, I definitely picked up on this view. Hmm. That's interesting because, I mean, they're in the Jeep that they stole. From the guy. She's still wearing the shoes and everything. So, like, usually when there's a dream sequence, there's something that's a little bit different 
to kind of cue that it is a dream, you know, or or didn't happen. Yeah, but they drove the 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 car, that Jeep Bronco thing, to the hospital, so it just makes sense that she would still have it. No, I know, but what I'm saying, it it would it would make more sense if it was a dream sequence if they just walked into the place as opposed to them driving. You know how, like, in dreams, you just fucking magically appear wherever. Like, you know, you could be in your room, and then all of a sudden you're at Target, and then you're on a boat, and you don't question how or why you got there. You're just kind of there, and you accept it. Whereas in this movie, or in this sequence, they drive to the location, get have a conversation before they go in, and then they're all there. Um, so I don't, I don't really... I don't know. I think that he was really there. And I think that because we didn't know that they were brothers, they had to have the conversation and he wasn't going to kill his brother until he threatened to kill Carolina. I just so, don't, I don't buy that. No one that they came out unscathed. They didn't have a single scratch on him. I mean, that that's a lot of guns and a lot of bullets unless his henchmen just turned tail and ran after they saw their boss get killed. I just, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, man, that, I, that doesn't, it doesn't add up for me. Okay. That's fine. I mean, the entire movie, you're you're seeing unbelievable things, but nope. that is, I mean, you're watching guitars shoot rockets. You're watching Gatling gun guitar cases. You're watching him shooting fans. He took down a room with 30 people, and then now all of a sudden he can't do it. <laughs> yeah, but, but we at least get to see that, and I think that there's something to be said about that. Like, if they keep showing the things, it's like, cool. So then once these these unbelievable things uh, are seen enough, we start to believe them, and they become the reality. So that that was a reality in that world, and for them to cut away without showing it, I mean, I think that was deliberate by Rodriguez, and I think he he deliberately left that in there to be to have ambiguity and 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 to treat it as a this never happened sort of thing. Um, gotcha. but, but it's up to the viewer to decide. So you're on one side of the coin. I'm on the other. We're Harvey Dent. We're Harvey Dent in it. Okay. I think we're Rufio in it. You're Rufio and I'm pan. No, I don't, I don't, I don't do, I don't do drugs. I'm the pan now. <laughs> I, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't do drugs. So. Yeah, you're Rufio. <laughs> no, man. Rufio. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, that's fair. I'll take it. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on Desperado, Linnell? I I really love Salma Hayek. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, um, I feel like not outside of the fact that she's a beautiful woman, that she's really good. Uh, I think she's a really good actor. Um, that was my final thought. Yeah, I agree. And and my my issue with Salma Hayek is. I think she's absolutely beautiful. I love the movie she's in. But the downside of it is my mom, when she was younger, looked almost exactly like Selma Hayek. So I get a little irky when I when I see her and I'm like, no, I don't like this. Why am I watching her? But uh, bad, uh, no, it's OK. <laughs> it's, 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 it's very the Oedipus aspect and I don't want it to be. But I love Selma Hayek. I think she's gorgeous and she's she, yeah, she's good in her movies. She's had some flops for sure, but. I absolutely love her. And she looks fantastic at her age, too. I mean, it's pretty easy to look good when you have money. So but uh, but yes, I agree with you. She was she was a peach in this film. A gem. One thing I wanted to ask you guys is so this is 1995 and I've discussed this earlier. Or I've discussed this before on different podcasts, but um, everybody in this town in Mexico speaks English. 
uh, to each other. Even when people, when, when native Spanish speakers are, are, are by themselves, they're still speaking in English. And so I understand kind of why it was maybe filmed in English for the mainstream audiences who did not like to read subtitles. But if you think this movie were created around this time, if, if it had never been made in 95 and they just decided to up and create it in 2019 or beyond, do you guys think that they could have made it uh, subtitled, made it uh, completely in Spanish and then the rest subtitles? And, and if so, do you think it would have had the same success? Um, Maybe I, today in 2021, but I, I think in 1995, not so much because I mean, even though Mariachi right. was subtitled and then it was dubbed uh there was a dub <laughs> version and it was fucking awful yeah um and so it's it's kind of hard in fact um the guy that plays uh Kampa, he is uh the guy with the, the gatling guns uh mm-hmm. he is the mariachi in the first movie that's what i thought um, yeah. but i i think today's audience might be a little bit more uh willing to commit to a subtitle movie but it's still a problem for for U.S. moviegoers, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, like Demon Slayer, the most popular movie and series in Japan, literally the most popular property in Japan, uh, came to the United States, and there were both there were two versions of this movie. The most hype movie of of last year and this year uh, was released both in dubs and in in subs, and that's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. But there's just people that just don't want to fucking read a movie. <laughs> Like I want to watch it. I don't want to read it. This is a book. Get out of here. And so it's it's a it's a tough sell for a lot of people, dude. So yeah, even in twenty twenty one, it's a problem. They don't like it. So um, yeah, that's all. I I mean, that's all I have to add. Uh, absolutely love the film. Uh, I, I I think that uh, yes, it is a very good action film, and I'm glad we did it. And I I I I I I I uh, all right, cool. I, well, my love. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, geez. Well, that's that's it for me. Um, do you want to take us out? Thank you again for joining us, Linnell. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, you're welcome back anytime, of course. Um, and uh, Mr. Zach, why don't you take us out? Sure. Yeah, Linnell, thank you again. Um, do you want to say anything before we leave? Uh, thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate this. Um, I had fun. So, heck yeah, man! It'll be uh, it'll be great. We'll have to listen to the episode when we post it on Monday on the Dies de, Ma- de Mayo. Dies de Mayo, there. <laughs> so, all right. Well, bienvenidos. Uh, don't be crazy podcast. Uh, gracias for listening for a scooch hourine to the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at EdgyArmo, and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts with us and we will discuss them on our show. Heck, you can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. We are creeping up to episode number 100. I'm trying to plan something for it, but my brain ran out of ideas. So please let us know. It would be very fun to do, uh, like, what's our favorite movie of all time? I know Justin really likes uh, fucking uh, She's All That with Freddie Prince Jr. So, yeah, let us know. But please also be sure to check out the Geek Legacy podcast with David, Randy, and Justin. What did I listen to recently? Oh, you guys did the DC fandom episode, and then you kind of just were winging it for the rest of it. It was a good episode, though. I enjoyed it. As well as the Pixelated podcast with Stephen K. James. He had a birthday the other day. Had some cake. Pretty good. (laughs) Just please remember, don't be crazy. Thank you for listening.
Thank you so much. Muchos gracias. Wow.